The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, thank you very much, and it is a joy to be here. It's always good to have the privilege to come and see what uh, God has created over the years uh, through our ministry, and we're grateful for that. Uh, I'm glad Laura is in here now with the children, and just wanted to tell you that I remember going all the way back when we were looking for a student pastor, and we uh, ended up with uh, Matt and Laura. And I called the seminary and told them of our need, and they just said, we've got a young man here that we believe is head and shoulders above most of the leaders. And so he recommended Matt and Laura, and the rest is history. So he served with his nine years. And then I'll never forget the day he came to my office. We'd had many meetings before, but he had never... Uh, come to my office and his wife be with him. So that I knew that was not going to be good. So he was either coming in to tell me they had marriage problems or that he was leaving and it was the latter. And so he began to say, I can't explain it. I remember them both weeping and saying, here's what he said. I've spent one afternoon in my life in LA and I'm confident God wants me to serve there. And I'm thinking, you've never been there and you're gonna go, which that intrigued me of the call of God. And now the rest is history with Story City Church and all that you're doing. So it is a privilege to be here. So thank you so much. Um, He got fired up and said, John chapter eight. He was just, he was flipping through his Bible too fast. It's John chapter one. And I'm again reading in a moment in verse number 35. I'm just going to read through verse number 40, although I'm going to kind of overview right on down through verse 51. But I want to speak to you on this subject today. And it's a national initiative that I'm leading across America. And it's simply entitled, Who's Your One? So you and I have not met before. Maybe Matt's told you something of us, but I was raised in the home of a single mom. When I was seven years old, my father divorced my mother, moved away, and it was not too long till we moved into a government project, and I was raised there along with my five siblings. And so as a result, we stayed in and out of trouble. Mother worked two jobs to support the family. She worked in a factory in the daytime and worked at a grill at night, a restaurant. And so... uh, As a result, me kind of going my own way when I was 16 years old, I made a terrible choice, and that is to quit school, and I started managing a pool hall. And so I played pool, became rather good, and I began to hustle for a living. And so that was sort of my story. Some people ask me every now and then, did you play any sports? To which I respond, eight ball. And uh, that was about it. But then someone began to talk to me about going to church. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. Research has been done. 80 to 85% of the people that will ever sit in one of these seats or in any of our churches across America, they're there because somebody cared enough to give them a simple simple invitation. There was a man, a carpenter by the name of N.W. Pridgen, and Mr. Pridgen, every time he would see me, he'd say, I wish you would take your pretty wife and come and visit with us one Sunday. And I I was really not in the church. To be real honest with you, I'd never owned a Bible and didn't go to church as a kid or as a teenager. I really thought they were two kinds of people, religious and non-religious. And it was just sort of a choice in humanity. And I'd just chosen 
to be non-religious. I knew nothing about this business of being saved or becoming a Christ follower or being born again. None of that language was really the language of the pool room. And so this man began to invite me. And so after a while, I decided I'm gonna take him up and I'm gonna go in here. And so I went for about four or five weeks and something happened. God used the gospel, the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ to bring me under what the Bible calls conviction. That was not a word that I used, but now I've learned to define it. It means that God exposed my need of Jesus Christ like nobody else in the whole world could. And I remember going one Sunday morning, normally I'd go to a drag strip and race my car in the afternoons, but not that day. I decided to go back because God had been dealing with me. Matter of fact, this is a cool part of my story. I went back that night because I really began to sense I really need Christ. And if he's who he says he is and he can change my life, he's welcome to it. But I was very shy and timid back in those days. Believe it or not, I quit school because I wouldn't give a public book report. And I got saved and I've been reporting ever since. So uh, bottom line is I went back to church that night because I was so shy, I got real nervous. So near the end of the pastor's sermon, I looked over to my wife and I said, do me a favor. She said, okay. And I said, when the pastor invites people to come to Christ tonight, go down and tell him I want to be saved. To which she responded, I can't do that for you. Nobody can trust Christ for you. You've got to do it on your own. And so that night, I personally believe I made the single most important decision of my life. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about today. There's some people that may just touch one, but the one you touch may touch thousands. How would you have liked to have been the individual that invited Billy Graham to hear Mordecai Ham in Charlotte, North Carolina? He was a 16-year-old boy. Uh, one man, I don't know who the man is, and I know the history of Billy Graham. I know his son Franklin, I know his grandson Will, but I don't know who invited him. But I'll tell you this, that man may have just touched one, but the man that he touched has spoken eyeball the eyeball to more people about Jesus than anyone that has ever lived in humanity. Incredible. And so in the Bible, we're going to see the same type stories. We're going to see a person that as best we know, they just touched this one individual, but then the people they touched, touched so many others. So if it's true that 80 to 85% of the people will never come to know Jesus unless a friend, a relative, a work associate, a neighbor invites them to come to church, brings them into a gathering like this where they can hear the music, uh, be welcomed by the pastor and others, all of you, making them feel welcome, open their heart up to listen to the message and to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing, absolutely nothing, makes a bigger difference in people's lives being changed than someone inviting them. And so what I'm going to deal with today is I'm going to ask you throughout this message and challenge you through video with this thought. Who's your one? Is there a family member, a friend, work associate or neighbor that's far from God that God would use you to invite them to come? So check out this video. 7.6 billion. Now that's a big number. 
That's how many people there are on earth. In the US alone, estimates say that out of 328 million, there are nearly 246 million lost souls, men, women, boys, and girls that don't know Jesus. Those numbers seem big, but what if we were to focus on the number one? The Bible tells us that heaven rejoices every time one person comes to know Jesus. What if we were to focus on the daily conversations, those everyday meaningful interactions for Christ that can truly make an eternal difference in someone's life? We can reach our nation with the gospel. We can reach the millions. We can reach our friends and family and neighbors by starting with one. Who's your one? I want you to listen to this text. It comes from the Gospel of John. I'm gonna walk through it quickly, but I'm gonna show you five people that encounter a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. If I understand my Bible, and I've been teaching it for 43 years, it teaches that people, everyone that's alive is gonna live somewhere forever. But the Bible teaches the only way they'll spend eternity with God is through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And so listen to this account, beginning in verse 35 of John 1. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Two of the disciples who heard him speak, they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, listen to this, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and follow him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I find it interesting in this passage that we find the first word spoken by our Lord Jesus in the gospel according to John in verse 38 says, what do you seek? He did not ask, whom do you seek? But what are you seeking? One scholar put it this way. The first word spoken by Jesus in John's gospel is a master question. It bids them to look searchingly at their innermost longings and desires. A hidden promise lies in the question, what are you seeking? Jesus has the highest treasure any person can seek. And he longs to direct our seeking toward that treasure in order that he may give to us an everlasting enrichment that we can pass on to others. In this text, in just these few verses, uh, verse number 35 through 51, we have record of what John the Baptist said. We see the conversion of John the apostle who gave us the gospel of John, who gave us 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, who gave us the book of Revelations. We see the conversion of Andrew, of Philip, and Nathaniel and Simon Peter. So we have the privilege of reading this brief account of how these men came to Christ. But if you were to read the Gospel of John, you would get to the next to the last chapter. And in John chapter 20 and verse 31, he gives us the reason it was written. He said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In verse number 29 of this passage, the Bible speaks of how John the Baptist is preaching, 
but he gets everybody's attention one day. So listen to this. It's like he comes to a moment. He says, hey, I've got a lot to say, but if you're not going to listen to anything, listen to this. This is the major statement. And so the Bible says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. All through Israel's history, God had revealed clearly that sin and separation from God could be removed only by blood sacrifices. No forgiveness of sin could be granted by God apart from a, an acceptable substitute dying as a sacrifice. And now John stands to say, after all of these different animals that have been slain, every one of them being a shadow of what would become a substance in Christ, everything that was a typology becoming a reality in Jesus Christ was going to be in the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. And the Bible said he's gonna take away the sins of the world. When I was flying over here yesterday, I was writing an introduction to next Sunday's message for the church I pastor. And in there I wrote about the great exchange. And, and I read, wrote about the fact that really the only thing I could bring to Christ when I came to him is my sin. But he offered to me something I didn't have, God's righteousness. Now just believe me, based on the integrity and the authority of the scriptures, no one, according to the Bible, will ever enter heaven without the righteousness of God. And yet the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now listen to what 1 John says. Now he's writing the gospel of John, but historians tell us that by the time he writes 1 John, many believe that John ends up being the oldest apostle alive. And he's in his early 90s, we believe. And here's what he says of Jesus. He himself. Now, when you use he and himself, that means emphatic in the Greek text. It means that no one else. In other words, it speaks honestly of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That's, that's a big word, propitiation. But let me tell you what it means. It literally translates wrath absorbing. It means that God the Father, justly so, righteously so, was gonna pour out the wrath of God on me because I was a sinner and separated from God. But Jesus Christ stood between the wrath of God and me as a sinner and absorbed my payment. He paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. Christ became the propitiation for my sin. Now, as a result of what Christ has done, not only has it changed my life, but now I can go into the world, the people I work around, the people I spend time with, the people I fly with, and I can tell them the story. I can invite them to come to know Christ. I can invite them to come to the church, and I can invite them to come to a small group, to a community. Uh, our president of our convention, who is 45 years old, and he's uh, leading over in Durham. And so we've kind of uh, piggybacked on this together to say we want to make it known all across America that if, if people would just think about one, G give you some idea. In the network of churches that you're a part of, there's about 47,000 churches. Listen to this. If only 10% of you, only 10%, 
Let's just say 90% of you, this message just goes over your head. You just say, that's his attitude. I I don't want anything to do with telling my friends about Jesus. Just 10% of you were to buy in. We would baptize twice as many people next year. Matter of fact, let me tell you this. Factual, we'd baptize more people than we baptized in 71 years. If only 10%. And the neat thing is you would have friends that now would be on their way to heaven. They now know the new life that God offers only in Christ. So I want you to keep hearing it. So check out this video. Numbers, we live by numbers. We track and count and measure everything. And sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones, but it's the single digits that make the difference. The Bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one. Yeah, heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know Jesus. We pastors dream about big numbers, and we should, but a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for Christ, that's the true difference maker. One friend, one family member, one coworker, one person at a time. We wanna see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? You know, if I can get you interested, yeah, thank you very much. Get you interested enough, you can just uh, remember to go to whosyourone.com. We wrote a devotion because here's the bottom line. We don't need more resources. We need a heart that genuinely cares for family members and friends and work associates and neighbors. And and the question is, if you think that I'm being rather fanatical in my sermon, let me say to you, if you're a Christ follower, what if your neighbor was a Christian and you were not? What if your work associate was a Christian and you were not? What if a family member was a Christian and you were not? And they were sharing the gospel with the same intensity that you are, what's the chance that you would ever get converted. If someone were to say to me, now tell me again, Brother Johnny, you were 20 years old, you were managing a pool room, and you came to faith in Christ. How did that happen? Here it is. N.W. Pridgen, a carpenter, invited me to go to church. A gentleman by the name of M.E. Gibson was preaching the gospel. And after four or five weeks, going to church and hearing the gospel, being among friends, God dealt with me. And on a snowy Sunday night in January, Jesus changed my life. Now, if I were to take you to this text and I were to say, okay, John, you gave us the gospel of John. You wrote John 3, 16 under the inspiration of the spirit of God. You wrote first, second, third John and Revelation. Hey, John, how did you come to know Jesus? Listen carefully. Um, I met Jesus. John the Baptist was out preaching and I heard him and uh, I followed Jesus. And so he told me about himself. Wow, anybody else there? Yeah, there was another guy named Andrew. Andrew was there also, and Andrew became a follower. So here's what you're gonna find out when you get to heaven. John, the apostle, and Andrew are gonna say that Jesus, this is good, Jesus led them to Jesus. So he led them to himself. Now, what did Andrew do with what Jesus had done for him. Did he keep it to himself? Now I'm going to heaven. This is wonderful. The single greatest decision I've ever made in my life. No, you know what the Bible says? 
If you were reading the next verse, verse number 41, here's what it says. It says in John, I mean, Andrew first went and found his brother, Simon Peter, and told him, I've found the Messiah. And then the Bible says, listen to this, and he brought him to Jesus. All right, here's what you need to know about that story. A brother bringing a brother to Jesus. Now, I travel all over the world preaching, even as a pastor for the last 43 years. But here's, here's what I found out. If you're not careful, you say something long enough that it becomes self-fulfilled prophecy. Here's what I'm hearing. I'll tell you what, Brother Johnny, it's hard to witness to family members. Now, let me translate that. I ain't witnessing to my family. <laughs> I mean, they're hard to talk to. Well, I've got a question for you. If you love your family and you're not sharing with them, how could you anticipate Someone that loves them less than you, knows them not as well as you, why are you booking on them not telling them if you've not told them? Uh, one of the great joys in my life is uh, my dad, even though he checked out, uh, I went and shared the gospel with my daddy. I I'll never forget, I'd not seen my dad in a lot of years, and now I'm a new believer, and I go to see my dad. I drove about eight hours to see him. I'll tell you about the gift I took him. And I got there, and so his conversation, I turned it, what we call turning an everyday, ordinary conversation to gospel conversation. I said, Dad, I just want you to know that um, I have a new father. He said, oh, son, your mom, Bessie, she remarried? And I said, no, she hasn't remarried. I got saved, and I've got a heavenly father. And I didn't know anything else to say to him. I just didn't have to think, there it is. I mean, I, I didn't know how further to go. I was, I was really a new believer. I told my brother Norman, which is older than myself, how Christ changed my life. God dealt with him. Norman got converted. And now for the last 30 years, he's pastored a church 10 miles north of me. And I went to see my sister. And, you know, we, we kind of uh, challenged each other a lot. So I went to see my sister. She's older as well. And I said, Mary, I want to tell you about Jesus. So I told her and she said, I'm not interested. I don't want you talking to me anymore. And she said, let me just tell you this too, brother. If I were to become a Christian, I wouldn't go to your church. And that really encouraged me. So anyway, I, um, I, I said, well, why is that, Mary? She said, because sometimes it comes across like you think that only you and the people at your church are going to heaven. I said, I, I don't believe that, Mary. Matter of fact, I don't believe half the people at our church are going to heaven. Now, that was um, another conversation. But the bottom line is Mary became a believer and uh, served for years and years and years in our ministry at our church. So the bottom line, she came to know Christ. But it's family member telling family member. Oh, and by the way, did I mention this? Andrew touched one. We have no record of anybody else that was converted under his ministry. Although he's mentioned three times in the Bible. Do you find this interesting like I do? Every time he's mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. He's the one who brought the boy with the loaves and the fishes. He's the one that there were these Greeks that said we would see Jesus. And the Bible says an Andrew brought them to Jesus. Three times, all three times. But we have no record of anyone being converted under his ministry but his brother. Remember what I told you? Andrew touched one, but Simon Peter, he preached a sermon on Pentecost. The Bible says that that day, 3,000 got saved. If you'll turn over to Acts chapter five, the Bible says 5,000 got saved, not counting women and children. 
And so there's no telling us how many people. He touched one and then all those people came to know Christ. By the way, when Jesus met Simon, he said this. He said, your name is Simon. You shall be called Cephas. Jesus sees people not just in actuality. Jesus sees people in possibility. Let me tell you why you won't witness to your friends. You, you, you know what they're like. You think, man, I'm not going to witness to them. They're not interested. I mean, look at the way they're living. Last thing they wanted to hear about God, they're going to put me in my place. See, you only see them in actualities. You don't see them in possibilities. You don't see them for what they could become. Had you been at the pool room while I was managing and hustling pool and seen me with my, my stick in one hand, a cigarette there and a, and a glass of liquor in this one and God's name in vain on my lips, you'd have probably thought Johnny would never be interested in the gospel. But I'm glad somebody cared enough to move beyond that. And they didn't just see me for who I was. Are y'all with me? He saw me for who I could become. By the way, when Jesus said, your name is Simon, that, that translates in the Greek text, wavering one. You shall become Cephas. You're going to become like a rock. You're going to become a stone. If you could see your friends for who they could become, you, you, would, you would leave now. You just get up and leave now. Walk out of the sermon so you could go find them. But we see in actualities, and it's fearful, so we don't share with them. And so as a result, they're going to perish. So here it is. John the Baptist is in the story. John the Baptist is out preaching. Uh, Jesus comes on the scene. They identify Jesus for who he is. John follows Jesus. Uh, Andrew follows Jesus. Andrew takes the message, doesn't keep it to himself, goes and finds his brother uh, Peter and wins him to Christ. But then there's another person, Philip, who led Philip to the Lord. Jesus did. He's another one of those that ran into Jesus and Jesus told him who he was and told him the message of the kingdom. He changed him. Guess what he did? He left and went and found a friend. Isn't that amazing? Here in one story, it's family telling family and friends telling friends. I mean, who's your one? Who's your, who's your friend? Who are you praying for that God would save them? Uh, one thing you can find at that website is there's a little card that says, who's your one? You can print it off like I did. And I wrote the name Percy on there and I've put it in the back of my Bible. And so I made an appointment with Percy. Uh, we, we've blown it. We have more than one on our list. So we have one couple named Grace and her husband, Peter. And so Janet and I, I told her the other day, I said, aren't we free for lunch after church Sunday? She says, yes. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, Grace, can you and Peter come to church Sunday morning, sit with me and Janet at our third service at 11 o'clock down front. And when the service is over, we want to take you to lunch. And, and they couldn't go. So we're working on a, another date, but, but we're reaching out. We're being intentional. We're not just saying, hey, if you ever get a chance, come one Sunday. Uh, to, to, to be that type of invite is no invite at all. They're just sometime. No, but you begin to say, I want you to come. Hey, go have lunch with me. Uh, let me take you to lunch. And, and what a difference it makes in their life. So what does Philip do? Philip goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. Just going to encourage you. Nathaniel was a skeptic. Some of you may say, man, my friend, he's a skeptic. I'm going to witness him. So here's what he does. He goes and finds his good friend, Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, I have found the Messiah who is to Christ. It is Jesus, the Nazarene. And listen to what this skeptic said. Ha! Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, instead of like thinking like we think, oh my God, what would I have said if he'd have said that? I mean, don't you have to be a theologian, a historian of the Bible to answer it? 
Listen to how he responded. Come and see. Why don't you just, hey, why don't you just come one Sunday and see? And by, by the way, what did Jesus say when John and Andrew's there? Wait, where are you staying? Come and see. Hey, where are you worshiping? Come and see. And, and just invite them to get into a, an environment where God is, is magnified. Your hands were up a moment ago. You were applauding the music. Evidently, you enjoy it. Bring your friends into that environment. They may just be waiting for you to invite them. And so he shares the message with him. And then when he gets there, and here's the neat thing about him. They were things about Nathaniel that Philip didn't know. This is so good. But there was nothing about Nathaniel. Oh, this is good. That Jesus didn't know. And so when Jesus gets there, Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. He, how, how did you see me under the fig tree? See, because Jesus doesn't have your number. Jesus knows your name. He knows everything about you. So the friends that you're not bringing, he knows who they are. He knows the potential in them. He knows what he could do in their life and with their life if they would just invite them to come. And so he invites them to come in to hear the message. And Jesus changes Nathaniel's life. Again, who could be your one? Who's your family? This is a good question. Anybody in here got anyone in their family that's not a Christian? Yeah, everybody does. Sure you do. Anybody here have neighbors that don't attend church? <laughs> anybody here work with someone that doesn't go to church? I mean, so, so it's your friends, your relatives, your workers, so it's your neighbors. All these people are out there and yet we've got the good news, and we, we could invite them in. I'll tell one story, show a video, and I'm through. I went to see a neighbor. <clears throat> we had run the Peachtree Road Race together. His wife had started coming to our church. And, and we had talked casually a little bit. But then I show up on his doorstep, and he probably just thought, just come and drop by, speak. And, but instead, I said this, hey, I wanted to come by and talk to you. He, he could tell the seriousness of maybe the conversation I wanted to have. And listen how he responded to me. Hey, Johnny, don't ruin our relationship. See, see, the God factor, the God factor was about to ruin our relationship. Now, by the way, I didn't know what I was going to say. I mean, if he said something like that, because I weren't anticipating that. Did you know the Bible says this? Jesus gives a promise. He said, if you'll go and be my witness, I will put my words in your mouth to give them an answer. So what would be my answer? Well, he was a prize fighter. He was a golden gloves boxer, won a lot of championships. And so when he stood there, he says, don't run this. And I said, well, can I, can I just tell you one thing then before I leave? He says, sure. I said, let's, let's just say, suppose. Suppose what I believe is true. If it is, one day I'm gonna die. Stay with me. And I'm gonna spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And if this is true, you're not. In fact, based on the Bible, hell's mentioned three times to every time heaven is mentioned. I said, you're going to go to hell. And I said, if you go to hell, and when you get to hell, if you are aware of this, that I'm not there, I'm in heaven because I was a Christian, but I was your neighbor and your friend. We ran together and we knew each other but I never told you. Here's what I said to him. I said, I bet then you want to get me in the ring and beat the H-E double hockey sticks out of me. Yeah, that's right. Because you're perishing 
And your friend, stay with me, your friend didn't care enough to tell you how to miss hell and make heaven. Sins forgiven to receive the gift of eternal life. And you know what he said? Come on in. And so I went in and we sat down and I shared the gospel. I'd love to tell you that he knelt there and prayed. I don't know. Maybe he did since then. If he hasn't, let me know. He moved. I said out west, he moved to Colorado. And so I've, I've lost contact with him. So I, I don't really know. But did you know in Ezekiel 3, he did it twice. Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33. The Bible says if you see impending judgment on an individual or a city and you do not blow a trumpet to warn them and the impending judgment comes about them and you knew it and didn't tell them, I will require their blood, your hands in heaven. Read it. It's incredible. But he said, now, if you warn them and they don't turn, their blood will be upon themselves. So it's all a matter of whether I told them or not. So, so everybody I tell, they don't get saved. But can I tell you this? <clears throat> thousands have. So you exaggerate, none, none, thousands, <laughs> thousands really have because we told them. Some of them are just waiting for somebody to explain it to them. Oh, they may not the first time. And by the way, we're talking about if you'd write a name down, say it's my one, and over the next 12 months, you would pray every day, every day. Write them in a journal. Write that card, put it in your Bible. When you get it, read your devotions in the morning, read your Bible to pray in the mornings or night, whenever you do it, you just look at that card and you say, Lord, please say, Percy. And then you do this though. And Lord, help me to be intentional. Help me to invite them to lunch. Help me to uh, pull them aside at work and ask them for a couple of minutes, wherever it might be conducive, and let me share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. I wonder who this time next year will be sitting in one of these empty seats that will have been your one. Check this video out. Life before Jesus wasn't bad. My marriage and how I met my husband, it was better than any book I'd ever read. And there weren't bad days. I had a job I loved. I mean, my daughter was sunshine incarnate. And it, it was good. Life was good before Jesus. So at the gym, I met Megan Check, and I just adored her. And she was just so, so easy. I mean, she was funny. Probably in the beginning, maybe like once a week, Megan, just on her way out, would kind of nonchalantly be like, hey, like on Sunday, you should come to church with me. And I'd be like, oh, okay, Megan, maybe. And you know, just like literally never think anything of it. Life at that time, like I said, it was great. So when I kept receiving the invitations, I kind of just felt like we're doing really good on our own. I think we've got like this really steady unit. And I mean, honestly, like between what I had in my marriage and what I had in my relationship with Graylin, I felt fulfilled. It was, it was perfect. And then it wasn't. Um, I felt like the rug had just been yanked out from underneath me and everything that I had known and everything that I had invested every part of myself into disappeared in a moment. And I was driving my car down 17 and I pulled over and 
I sat in my truck and I thought, okay, you have a choice right now. You need to figure out how to forgive. And not just in a way that is, I forgive you and we're good. Like, you have to mean it because it's your soul at stake. And in that moment, all I kept thinking was there's only one place you can go. And sure enough, I knew that there was only one place to go. And that was Renovation Church. So I called Megan and I said, all right, my life just exploded. I'm gonna try this out. So I show up on a Sunday, just a normal Sunday. And in that message, uh, John talks about rest and renewal. And he talks about how um, you don't have to carry all this weight by yourself. That God wants to help you with that. And he wants to take that weight off of you and let you know that you're not alone. And right there in that chair holding the hands of those two women I gave my life to Christ right then and there no questions asked Megan started praying for me and inviting me to renovation church a solid almost two years before I actually showed up so for that long Megan had me in her mind and God was putting me on her heart for some reason I was I was Megan's one and to sit back now and look back at that, um, it is amazing because without Megan, I, I don't know. So to be someone's one, to come and show up at renovation, to give my life to Christ, to have my husband give his life to Christ, and now to fast forward, and now I'm serving, helping when the one does show up, I'm trying to help them, you know, figure out what it looks like and where to go and what it's gonna be like. And it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. That was not scripted. She actually said those words, I was Megan's one. Who's your one? Do you realize there was a day that you were someone's one? Someone was praying for you, encouraging you, and inviting you. You know what may very well be true? Maybe someone's one is in here now that they've invited you to. It's my prayer that you'll know how personal God is and you'd come to realize your need to open your heart, ask him to forgive you of your sins, and become your personal Lord and Savior. You will decide whether you really take serious who's your one, that you not face God one day empty-handed. No need to go to heaven alone, but populate heaven. Tell other people what he's done for you. And if you don't, who will? <laughs>